the axe of the blood god. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, U.S. Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey, with me, well, returning, not as always, she is returning this week, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, I am back indeed, and uh, it, it's nice to be back. Hi, everyone. Yes, uh, nice to be back amid this torrent of RPG news that has been coming out ahead of E3. E3 is just one week away as of the launch of this podcast, um, less than a week. And yes. I think that all games journalists are feeling the reverberations, the earthquake. Yeah. It's a little like terrifying, that. Nadia. Yeah, it's like that scene in Lion King where Simba kind of feels a ground shake and the rocks start yep. to dance and he looks behind him. Yes. That's it. Yes, uh, so there, there's a lot of news to parse through. Um, Bethesda unexpectedly announces a Fallout spin-off probably we don't actually yeah. know much about it called fallout 76 Where, where's the other 70 71 games <laughs> there we, made that there we go made i want to <laughs> play fallout 69 yeah <laughs> yeah i've already seen that image edit yeah i've seen that i've seen that a hundred times on twitter and it never caught funnier <laughs> <laughs> And, of course, Nintendo unexpectedly, or perhaps expectedly, after a freaking week's worth of discussion, and we kind of already talked about this on the podcast, but we'll talk about it some more now that we've actually seen it, Pokemon Let's Go, which is a real thing that is real, and I think Nadia and I maybe have slightly differing opinions on it. Uh, I'm not yeah, entirely sure. Uh, I think Nadia is a little more up on it. I'm a little more down on it. And finally, we have um, a, a new game. I guess you could call it an RPG um, shopping, shopkeeping type game in the spirit mm -hmm. of Racketeer. And that is Moonlighter, which Nadia has been playing. Mike wrote about on the site. People see it's been getting a fair amount of buzz. It was a yeah, Kickstarter game. I gave it a shot. Uh, uh, I gave it a shot last night. And so we have some thoughts on that. But. Let's get right down to it and start with the news. I, I think the news that might be of more uh, interest to our audience is Pokemon Let's Go, Nadia. And, I mean, okay, so Nintendo held a press conference last week as of the release of this podcast in Japan. And they revealed three new projects. Uh, one was a game that came out right away, Pokemon Quest, which you played a little bit in Nadia. No, I didn't actually. That you didn't play that? Uh, really? No, I haven't haven't gotten to play it yet. I, I figured I'd give it a try when I have a, a time, but who the hell has time? But Katie, Katie has been playing it, and she says it's definitely a free-to-start game and that you will hit a wall very quickly. <laughs> it really feels super mediocre. Um, yeah, I'll be honest. I might get it once it's on phones, and I can just kind of tap on it, like while in between commercials or something like that. But uh, it doesn't—it it actually doesn't really catch my interest very much. I'm not a big fan of the art style. Uh, mm. I feel that whole Crossy Road voxel train sailed a long, long time ago. Oh God, how long ago was Crossy Road? Literally several years, years, and, years and years ago, right? <laughs> Many years ago, I was writing about mobile games when Crossy Road was a big thing. So yeah, it was quite—it was quite a while ago. I did like Disney Crossy Road though because uh, Mickey Mouse got hit by a car, and that was pretty funny. 
I always I liked Magic Heart Jump, which uh, Eurogamer's Tom Phillips was dumping on it on Twitter, what? and I was pretty annoyed about that. Oh my god, mm-hmm. Magic Heart Jump is is great. Magic Heart Jump, I think both Katie and I love that game a lot. Uh, we both picked it for our best mobile games list. Uh, you can go look at that on US Gamer. It's a funny ass game. I just remember when I downloaded, it, I thought, oh, it's going to be some cheap distraction, whatever. I'll just play it. And it's like, I think Mola Mola Survive is what it's based on. Uh, but it's just, I remember playing it and laughing because all the NPCs were out of their minds and the whole concept was so ridiculous. I, I really had a good time with that game. I think the funniest thing about Pokemon Quest was all of the people losing their mind on Twitter uh, and like <laughs> Reddit yes. and Reset Era and all of those uh, sites because they assumed that that was going to be the that new Pokemon and Switch. Uh, yeah, nobody has any patience anymore. Bliss. Oh, it was wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't uh, check, I didn't even have time to check it out and watch everyone freak out. That was a weird presentation because um, they had people there, like from Eurogamer, but, and probably other sites too, but it wasn't streamed. I don't understand why they didn't stream anything. Yeah, uh, I mean, it was a press conference in the old school type way. Back, yeah. Like straight out of 2008, where they would fly all of the big media outlets out to Japan and sit you down in a theater, and then they give you a very matter-of-fact presentation. Yep, yep. Um, very nostalgic. And then you can take a picture of uh, of the game of the Switch with the game on it, I guess, <laughs> or the boxes. <laughs> Maybe talk to some people about it. Um, but yeah, uh, so they they showed Pokemon Quest first, and everybody lost their mind. And then the next game they showed was Pokemon Let's Go which we've known about for ages because it leaked, and it leaked pretty hard, pretty early, which... Kind of gushed. I'm surprised, to be honest, how uh, as to the fact that it ended up leaking so early, given that Nintendo is usually is pretty notorious about keeping this stuff close to the mm-hmm. vest. I guess it came out of a European outlet or something. Yeah. Typical Europeans who caught wind of a Europe event. They were going to do an event in Europe. And... I guess that's how it got leaked. And then Nintendo freaked out and canceled that and decided just to do the Japan event. Now that's Nintendo. Yes, that's very Nintendo. But Pokemon Let's Go, it is a kind of a remake of the original Pokemon Yellow in particular, starring Pikachu Mm -hmm. and Eevee, which you are playing as a trainer, and it leans really heavily on the Pokemon Go mechanics, uh, specifically throwing the ball to catch the monsters but again instead right. of being in real world you're in the console world and it follows right. it roughly follows the pokemon uh yellow storyline and there's also co-op and it, uh, the pokemon look alive you're flying around on them and that kind of thing um people seem very excited about this on social media not a, you seem pretty positive on it as well yeah i'm, I'm definitely positive on it not like uh, first of all, I think a lot of people felt a lot better about the game once uh, um, Game Freak said, okay, yeah, don't worry, there is an actual Gen 8 game coming next year, this is just an, you know, an in-between thing, and then everyone was yes. like, oh, oh, great, great, that's fine. Uh, so they were a lot friendlier towards the game after that. Uh, and I wrote a thing about this on US Gamer, and of course you're invited to go check that out. Uh, I feel like this game is a good thing it exists because this is a game that's going to give uh, Game Freak a good opportunity to really get a handle on the Switch for whatever they're working on in Gen 8. Uh, not to mention that I really think with the co-op aspect, 
uh, it's perfect for parents who want to play alongside their kids. Like, you know, a lot of parents, let's face it, they grew up with Kanto. So now they're like, hey, you know, come play Pokemon with me. You know, I'll show you the games that I grew up with, except they're cooler. Uh, like I hear, for example, I don't know if this is true or not, but I hear that uh, HM moves don't exist still. They're just they're just kind of supplying Pokemon for that. So that's a really nice change. Uh, yeah, so I, I, I'm not as excited for it as I would be for like a, um, you know, an actual Gen 8 game. But uh, I will definitely play it. I will give it a shot. I am, of course, a Pokemon Go fan, so I do kind of like the uh, the whole, you know, motion control aspect of it, to be honest with you, although I really do hope that it's optional, and I think it is optional. Uh, if it's not optional, I'm going to be a little bit madder. I'm a little confused, to be honest, about where exactly this occupies, what space this occupies in the Pokemon world, because it it is honestly confusing. Mm-hmm. I think to the untrained eye, it does look like it's it's ties in with the regular RPGs, right? Right. And I guess the, this is Nintendo saying that they're going even more casual than they were before. <laughs> which the original Pokemon is designed to be basically baby's first RPG. Yeah, it is. Even though it has those hidden aspects to it uh, to a certain degree, uh, it is definitely an entry rpg yeah it's always been like that and that was part of the brilliance was that it starts you off and you're going through the quest and if it's the first time you're playing you're like wow this is so cool and i i'm making friends with these monsters that i'm catching and it seems like there's so many interesting secrets to be found across the world and then you finish the game and you discover that it is so much deeper than you could have ever friggin imagined in uh-huh. terms of putting together viable squads of Pokemon. I love building teams. So like it totally, <laughs> it's always scratched that particular itch for me, like raising yeah. them, um, the different communities that have grown up around different aspects of the, uh, of the actual RPG. Uh, it's really amazingly flexible, but I mean, the secret to its success has always been its accessibility. So for them to be like, we're making a more accessible R- Pokemon, it's like, well, I mean, Pokemon is already based around accessibility, so uh, this strikes me as just a way to cash in on Pokemon Go. (laughs) That's it. Uh, Well, just cash in on Pokemon in general, because it's going to be quite a while before we see Gen 8. I think they said the second half of 2019. I mean, that's just a year from now. I mean, it's not that far away. (laughs) A year's a long time, especially when you're a kid. I mean, in in effect, they've it's still an annualized franchise. They're putting out new Pokemon every year. It's not like we're waiting yeah. freaking 10 years like we are with Fallout 5. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. Uh, like I said, though, and this is something I mentioned, too, in my uh, article, um, Pokemon Red and Blue, when you look back at them, they're very, not just simple RPGs, but very uncluttered. You talk to the old man who helps you catch your first Pokemon, and after that, you're pretty much on your own, story-wise. Uh, as much as I love the story in Sun and Moon... Uh, it still kind of stops the action. You still have to stop and, and, you know, talk to people, listen to what they have to say. There's none of that going on in Pokemon uh, Red and Blue, and I think that's what makes it also a good co-op RPG for a parent and their kid. Yes, I absolutely think that the co-op is actually one of the main selling points. And for people who don't even want to get as deep as the RPG elements in the original Pokemon or in, in the Pokemon RPGs, this is perhaps a even better gateway for them so they had pokemon mm-hmm. go <clears throat> it's like you got you dipped your toe into pokemon with pokemon go 
and now it's like ah here you go uh now here's a game on the switch that uses the same familiar mechanics and perhaps it will bridge you on to uh the actual rpgs (laughs) it's weird that they're putting a middle point between pokemon go and the rpgs but i guess perhaps they heard feedback of like people who are trying to transition were having a hard time so yeah and i'm also thinking this is something else again i mentioned in my article uh the Switch is obviously the Pokemon's new home, but it's not as portable as the 3DS. It's not something that I take out with me, put it in my purse, and, you know, I used to actually play Pokemon uh, on the subway with people while just, like, going from station to station, and I'm not going to do that on the Switch. So I wonder if what they're doing with, you know, kind of combining Pokemon Go and Pokemon Let's Go Eevee, Let's Go Pikachu is kind of giving Game Freak uh, at least a chance to, to test out what they can do in terms of Pokemon transferability. Uh, letting people, you know, trade, letting them battle, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, I don't know what they have planned exactly, but it could just be like, hey, we're going to give this a try, see where we, see where we wind up. Well, my understanding is there's going to be no online component. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I, it's actually kind of hard to get a handle on what they're trying to do because the the point of Pokemon has always been trading and... Yeah the social aspect and i guess to them they would tell you that the social aspect is co-op the social aspect is you know being able to transfer you can transfer your monsters from pokemon go to pokemon let's go right uh, there there is a connection there between is definitely the two. a connection but it's not 100 percent clear about what it is and i do have to say that uh any pokemon game without that online ability like in this in this modern era that is kind of strange and i think it's going to be a a detriment to the to the games and also you don't battle the actual monsters okay what do you do with them kick them well you don't (laughs) when you're capturing the monsters Uh you just do the throw thing that you do in pokemon go except with the 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 joy con right so it really is for very young kids and maybe their parents yeah, young kids, their parents, anybody with perhaps nostalgia for Kanto who want to see it in kind of a marginally upgraded uh, 3D engine. Yeah, which which I do, to be honest with you. But um, yeah. yeah, I didn't really know all that stuff about how there's not really any battles. But now that you mention it, looking back at the trailer, things the, the menus, for example, did seem kind of simplified. Uh, so I guess I'd have to find out more to be sure, but I'd still give it a try. It still looks kind of fun and cute, but it's definitely not Gen 8. It makes me think that one possibility for an... uh, One of the problems that Pokemon has is, on the one hand, when they introduce a new generation of monsters that, like, kicks off an entire hype cycle as people speculate Mm -hmm. over the starters and they choose the new starters and they get really excited about them... And then they, like, speculate over the mechanics and all of that good stuff. But it, mm-hmm. it, the problem is that there are so many monsters now that it's almost too much. <laughs> hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. It's too much, man. And it... Uh, I've often thought, well, what if they didn't expand on the Pokedex and instead went back and found ways to you know, kind of refresh old monsters. And they've tried to do that with like mega evolutions and things and like Alolan. that. You'll notice that um, the Alolan forms. Yeah, exactly. You'll mm-hmm. notice that, for example, they um, th- they had much fewer new monsters. And I think Pokemon Sun and Moon and were focusing instead on 
new forms of old monsters that had new traits and that kind of thing, yeah. which was kind of cool. Actually, I liked some of the refreshes. I yeah. wonder if you could go back, but the upshot of all this is, I wonder if you can go back to an old region and tell a new story. Um, I think Game Freak can find a way to do it. Uh, and I'm not talking about a remake. I'm talking about like yeah. going back to, I don't know, Sinnoh, or, which is from Diamond and Pearl, or Johto, or uh, Unova, and finding a new story to tell there that utilizes different monsters that perhaps got short shrift or have been forgotten, and yeah. finding a way to refresh those monsters. Like, um, I, I think uh, certainly... I am a big Infernape fan. I think Infernape yeah. is my favorite po- Pokemon, but it has been so horribly overshadowed by Blaziken over the years, um, which makes me sad. Uh, the, yeah. the, the Ruby and Sapphire, uh, the Diamond and Pearl starters got shafted in favor of the Ruby and Sapphire starters. Uh, surely there's room to refresh them and make it part of your big marketing campaign. Yeah, I think so. Um, when, you t- when you talk about a world as as weird as Pokemon... And, you know, Game Freak is not afraid to get weird with the story. Uh, yeah, I think there's really a potential there to just kind of go back and tell tell another story. And I think you're right. I think that the Pokedex is a little bit too large. And people really love the Alolan Pokemon. And I, I personally love how they fit into the biology of, uh, of Alola. Um, they, nearly every Pokemon had a history behind it. Like what they did with the, the Dark Rattata, that was, that was fantastic. And how it has the... Uh, the rival, the young goose, who was like the whole thing reflected the the history of the sugarcane industry in Hawaii and how that went terribly wrong with the the mongooses and the rats. Really? So yeah, something like that would would be really enticing. I I mean, let's say they go back to Sinnoh. I mean, you could have Sinnoh forms of Alolan Pokemon. Yeah, absolutely. Um, things like that. Uh, you could you could sprinkle in a handful of new legends if you really want to, uh, just mm-hmm. to give something people something to catch i think the point is is that people really like these older regions and they want to find ways to go back to them and i know that they want to keep pointing things forward and keep Mm -hmm. building on building on the series and growing the world and marketing these monsters to heck and back yes yes they're very good at that but it feels like the stuff that's come before is in some ways underserved Mm -hmm. and anyway they're (laughs) This is all to say that I didn't want another red and blue remake. <laughs> you know what? I never played Fire Red and Leaf Green, so I'm yeah. going back for the first time in a long time. Yeah, yeah, Fire Red and Leaf Green. That's old now. It's yeah. 14 years old, which is crazy. Oh my god! I I loved. I I really enjoyed Fire Red and Leaf Green. It was an outstanding remake, um, mm-hmm. uh, and a necessary one because it brought the one the original 150 back into Ruby and Sapphire after they got. Cut out those jerks. Right. Well, oh, that was that was a big thing. Oh, yeah. I was so mad about that. Oh, I was I was not happy either. And I think they learned their lesson from the backlash on that one. Yes, they did. And that's why, that's why we have seven hundred goddamn Pokemon now. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad they didn't. I'm glad they didn't go further down that rabbit hole. But yeah, so I, I yes, Fire Red and Leaf Green are fourteen years old. But it's like, yeah, but do we really need to go back to Kanto? Do do we need to do that again? um uh apparently we do when, um, and when and i like say I, when i say do we need to go back to kanto what i'm saying is do we need to do that story again because we've done that right. story we've done that right. story multiple times 
uh, that story is nice. I, I think the fun thing about Gold and Silver was that it was a direct sequel to uh, the original Red and Blue. Yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah, so this one, I I like let's I like that let's go is actually a new take on that. Uh, mm-hmm. I like that it's not a straight remake. That it kind of plays around with mechanics. It's going for something more casual and everything. Um, and so in that respect, I'm fine that they're telling that story in a new way. But right. I am also like sitting, it also makes me wonder like, are there ways that we can tell new stories in old regions? And I kind of wouldn't mind if they did that in Gen 8, even though I know, I don't think they will. They it's won't. not going to happen, but I, I agree with you. I would not mind revisiting some of the old uh, regions. But what what countries can they go to next? I mean, Canada. Can they go to Canada? <laughs> no, they're not going to either. Uh, <laughs> the closest you're going to get is Sinnoh, which was Hokkaido, right. which was the Canada of Japan. Right, the freezing area. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I mean, they've already done a lot of different places, to be perfectly honest. So the New York, Hawaii, Europe, um, Africa. <laughs> I'm sure that would go yeah. over well. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, though, if you had like a, a safari animal, savanna like based stuff, I I think that'd be very interesting. Oh, that, that could be. I mean, we've already had like lions and things, <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. So Pokemon, let's go as a game, as a concept. I'm fine with it. I think that it has an audience. Um, I, I I actually asked my partner, who is a big and avid Pokemon Go player, but not so much a pokemon fan who would seem to be the target audience for this game i was yeah, like yeah perfect. pokemon let's go coming out for the nintendo switch uses the same mechanics as pokemon go even ties us into it perhaps you would like to play this game and she was like eh <laughs> and i was like why 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 do you say eh and she goes right. well i mean i like just being able to walk around and catch monsters you know i like the outdoors part of it and i was like oh interesting yeah so perhaps trying to pull core gamers back into Pokemon Go? Yeah, could be. Um, they're always looking for new ideas to refresh on Pokemon Go. Uh, and like I said before, they've been... Um, I mean, as soon as they announced uh, Pokemon Let's Go, Pokemon Go actually did an update of their own. Uh, they finally... They kind of like delivered the news about the, the game and then uh, they launched like a billion freaking Alolan uh, executors everywhere. Yes. So, Pokemon Let's Go, apparently, only 150 monsters and some Alolan monsters. Yeah, yeah. Which I find interesting. Uh, can I can I just say that the Kanto Pokedex is overrated? Oh, that's that's hot. That's a hot take right there. Uh, you're taking your life into your hands here, Jack. It's fine. Uh, it was also the first. So, everybody has nostalgia for them, but they're probably the simplest um, that they possibly really got with it. And they are. They're like rats. Pigeons. They based them heavily <laughs> on mythical creatures. Like, there's literally, like, Ninetales is literally based on uh, the Japanese fox, I think. Um, Ninetales. Or yeah. Ninetales. Stuff like that. Like, uh, Arcanine is just a big old dog, <laughs> tiger dog. Yeah, he's like, he's like, a, Arcanine's like supposed to be one of those, uh, those guardian dogs that you see outside of temples. Uh, yeah. But definitely has a very appealing design. They got a rat. <laughs> they got, they got a rat. They got a right big old rat. Uh, a bigger rat. Uh, Puff the Magic Dragon. Yeah. Oh, good old Dragonite. Oh, I was going to say, I actually do prefer the Johto Pokedex. I think that the perfect Pokedex was. Once we got up to Diamond and Pearl, we had the perfect Pokedex, and we should have started. We should have stopped. 
Mm. Because by then we had like Arceus. Um, we were starting to run out of ideas for legendaries. Yeah, uh, you got God in there. How do you go? How do you go past God? Actually, I'll go back. I'll say 386 is when we should have stopped. Because yeah. by that point we had 386 of these monsters, right? We had a good array of legendaries, some really great ones from Ruby and Sapphire. We had guys like Metagross. Uh, they were already starting to reuse uh, certain concepts. Like they re- they basically did another Butterfree, <laughs> for example. <laughs> they did, did more birds. Uh, yeah, so I, I don't know. Like they, <sighs> so the Kanto decks is just okay for the mm-hmm. most part. But um, I, I thought they had a lot of. I thought they got a, they really stretched their 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 wings and had a lot more interesting concepts in gold and silver, ruby and sapphire, diamond and pearl, you know, black and white. Like they have they didn't have all they didn't always have winners, but they also had a whole lot of gems in later games mm-hmm. that I really ultimately ended up enjoying and <laughs> this uh, just obsession over the Kanto decks and, and this missile of all the other ones is annoying to me to be perfectly honest I actually wrote something for US Gamer uh, telling people to stop obsessing over the Kanto Pokedex because yeah I agree with you it's, uh, it's, it's very nostalgic and it's very iconic and I appreciate it for what it is but uh, you're right you're looking at very simple designs although I do like the designs of the legendary birds I think those are really interesting and really well done well, yeah one's just you know the phoenix I, I like Articuno a good freezy bird Articuno's nice yeah Zapdos is a bird he's like he's he's like you know electricity bird <laughs> I like he looks very sharp I like sweet I like Suicune Entei and Raikou way better than the birds though yeah I love Suicune yeah uh, Suicune's the, a great uh, design yeah Suicune's like, fantastic did you see the, the design out of the beta no I didn't it looks like that. That uh, I don't, this is on the list I just put up on US Gamer. It Go check looks it out. Like that hybrid that they made in Full Metal Alchemist the, between the girl and the dog. Ah, don't, yeah. It, why do it, I keep being really reminded cool. of that? <laughs> well, there you go. God, I hate. Ugh. I mean, Ruby and Sapphire. I already mentioned Metagross. Metagross is a phenomenal one. Blaziken, uh, Septile, Salamence. Salamence is just okay, but uh, they're it's they're. Cool. Uh, Diamond and Pearl had Heatran, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like Infernape. There's there's some phenomenal designs. So stop stop acting like Kanto is the Alpha and Omega of the friggin' Pokedex. <laughs> uh, the friggin' Besides, Pokemon. Uh, Litten is the best uh, starter. Which one? Litten. Oh, Litten? Oh, no, it's yeah. the worst. <laughs> no, it's not. And he yeah, turns into a wrestler. He's, uh, he's almost as bad as Totodile, and I hate Totodile. How can you hate Totodile? He's adorable. He'll bite you. Yeah, uh, street shark or street gator. <laughs> street sharks. <yeah. laughs> I don't Only know. 90s kids remember. Yeah, no, I Totodile. I liked. I for some reason somebody voted. I, I think Chikorita was voted the most useless starter. Yes, and it's true because Chikorita is from a different era. There was a yeah. time when Meganium was actually an okay tank, not not amazing, but mm-hmm. usable. And stats got so out of control that Meganium became unusable. <laughs> like, it's actually, like, it's garbage tier, pure garbage tier, because oh. it just doesn't have enough um, uh, stats. And by the way, give Meganium a, uh, a Mega Evolution and make that make that actually yeah. usable, or a, or a Sinnoh-type uh, evolution or something. I don't know. But, yeah, yeah no. <sighs> okay, so Pokemon Let's Go, I... It's a little too simple for my tastes, and 
I guess maybe I'll dabble in it, but it's not really for me. I don't feel, I, I don't think mm-hmm. it's, I don't think I'm the target audience, Nadia. And I was no, really, uh, I was feeling a little panicky initially going, wait a minute. <laughs> you were, yeah, I remember that. I was feeling a little panicky because I was like, well, is this the new direction for the series? Is this it? Is it? Are they just going full Pokemon Go now? And I'm like, surely not. Surely they would not abandon the RPGs. No, of course not. No. And I knew they didn't. I knew I knew that they had not abandoned the RPGs, but still, there was that. You, you had that moment of, of fluttering heart. Panic. Yes, that fear deep down in my in my heart. And then, um, yes, uh, so then they confirmed Gen 8, and I was like, okay, all is right with the world. So All is okay. <laughs> all is good. Another game that got announced, um, though only teased, is Fallout 76, which mm-hmm. is... A well, nobody actually technically knows what it is yet because no, Bethesda has no. given us no details whatsoever. <laughs> we got a teaser trailer, and the characters are like we saw some images of different areas uh, that you will apparently be able to explore that look fairly enclosed. Did you watch the teaser trailer, Nadia? I did watch the teaser trailer, and you know I love the use of country roads. That was fantastic. Um, it was in West Virginia, not Virginia. It is in West, West Virginia. Virginia. The song indicates it is in West Virginia. And um, I know I know a little bit of what's going on here. Uh, you see this vault dweller, whoever he is, because he can tell it's a male, uh, is standing alone in what looks like it's been there's been like a party for quote-unquote Reclamation Day, and the vault dwellers of Vault 76, I think they're supposed to exit the vault after 20 years after the bombs fall, and... As, their na- as the party suggests, reclaim things. So whatever you're doing in Fallout 76, I think is going to involve like getting out of the vault like very quickly after the war and cleaning up, clean up duty, welcome to the colonies, I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, so Fallout 7, uh, Vault 76 was about opening the vault 20 years after... Um, and you step out onto the, the, these people are stepping out into the new world and repopulating. A lot of people have talked about how, I've, I've seen people on Twitter talking about how they want, a, I don't know, to move past the wasteland somehow, or mm-hmm. maybe have Bethesda start exploring ways in which people are actually rebuilding rather than wallowing in the apocalypse, as it were. I thought Fallout 4 did a little bit of that. I noticed that there was some, like, reclamation going on, like, of nature and whatnot. Like, at least the sky was blue. That was a start. (laughs) The Institute is all about coming out and starting to fix things, but their solution is fairly horrifying. It involves robots. And oh. <laughs> yeah, it, it's not super great, but the Institute has their own ideas. And when you go into the Institute, it's very clinical and clean. And mm. it's it's a very different world from what uh, from the world above. And I, I guess it's based on MIT. Uh, MIT went underground and started and started their own robot super colony. Oh, boy. Yeah. So that's yeah, the thing to get things done. So Fallout 76 is about reclaiming the world and uh, starting it all up again. Yeah, one way or the other. One way or another. But from the sound of it, it's basically uh, like Rust or Mm -hmm. Ark Survival Evolved. It's a survival game. You gather things, build up settlements, and you are trying to, I don't know, uh, there's going to be an online component of some sort. 
Uh, there mm-hmm. are reports of there's going to be quests um, that you can take on and that kind of thing. Maybe it'll be a little bit like Dragon Quest Builders. Yeah, I was actually thinking that. Like, uh, it won't be very blocky, but <laughs> it might be fun. <laughs> so Dragon Quest Builders, you're actually like mining the world and using yes. that to get resources, right? And then you were building up uh, settlements. Yeah, uh, basically, Dragon Quest is uh, Dragon Quest Builders is yes, the world has been kind of ruined, and you go from town to town. These are actually Dragon Quest towns, and you rebuild them, and you fight to like get materials, and you mine for the materials, and you also usually there's like some big threat that you have to beat and uh, to make the town truly free. Yes, uh, like you do. So, I I am intrigued by this game. Nadia, mm-hmm. how how are you feeling about it? Because you you said that you get motion sick playing Fallout games. Uh, I was fine with three. I actually played quite huh. a bit of three, but I never finished it. Four made me terribly motion sick. I've never been so motion sick from a game ever. So I'm really hoping that whatever this game is, Bethesda fixes the issue and I can actually play it. Because if it is a survival game, like I'm interested in the Fallout universe, uh, so I was disappointed that I couldn't play four very much. Uh, so I, I really am hoping that I can play this because I, I like survival games for the most part, um, and I like the survival. Uh, so I, I like the the Fallout lore. Mm. So yeah, hopefully um, this will go over. It's funnily enough, I'm not actually that interested in the Fallout lore. No, but no, it's fun. nah, it's okay. <laughs> uh, I have a friend who actually took the tour. They she did the DC tour where she uh, walked all around the Fallout Three map for DC. Hmm. I got to watch. I, I got to walk. Uh, so I played Fallout Four about a year and a half after I went to Boston for the first time. Oh boy! So it was fun to walk the Freedom Trail in that game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's actually a quest. You walk the Freedom Trail and you get a reward at the end. I forget what that reward is. Perhaps you, freedom. I think you connect with one of the major factions. I, I think that might be what it ultimately happens. But, um. Yeah, yeah. So, no, uh, Fallout 4, Fallout's lore has never really done much for me because, I don't know, um, it's just your typical post-apocalyptic stuff for the most part. I think the tales that they stay, they tell within it are kind of interesting. Like mm-hmm. the individual vignettes of morality in the wasteland, morality when people are pushed to their absolute limits as humans, that kind of thing. Right. I, I think that's fairly interesting, but the overarching lore is doesn't stand out to me tremendously. So I think the the thing that's always stood out to me about Fallout is that it's basically a holodeck. Yes. In that you go out into a world and you're just walking along the country road and sometimes there are people walking by and you're like, who are those people? And then... You take on a quest, or you can see things way off in the distance, and maybe you take on a quest and you discover a new mm-hmm. community. Um, in Fallout 4, one of the, my favorite things about Fallout 4 was that it lets you take uh, ownership of some of the world, which right. was really cool and really satisfying, and I liked that aspect of it. And yeah. I, I hope that the reports are true, that they're expanding upon that for Fallout 76, because mm-hmm. the settlement building was a little limited in Fallout 4. <laughs> Yeah, although I did see someone who had a death claw in their settlement. Oh, yeah. It just, all it did was line up for drinks, she said. <laughs> line up for drinks? That's all it did. It, it went to the bar and just lined up for drinks all day. I mean, what else are you going to do when you're death claw aside Pretty from much. kill people? Death claws were <laughs> death claws were cool in Fallout 4 cuz 
they made it cinematic. Yeah. A Deathclaw battle was an actual... They're, they're, they could be spooky, as it were. There, there's actually one of the um, key images for the game that was distributed that I'll never forget. It's just basically a Deathclaw like, standing in the haze against this bent-over power pylon. And it is actually a pretty terrifying image. Yes. Uh, but uh, you could get Deathclaws in Fallout 4 because one of the expansions lets you build creature pits. <laughs> oh boy where you would capture monsters i think and then you could watch them fight one another oh no or you could really fight them if you wanted to i guess wow star wars yeah that's my recollection i i never did that one because it was a little confusing to me mm-hmm. that that actual aspect of it and in fact some of the settlement stuff was really confusing like building Building a ammunition uh, assembly line was actually pretty confusing. It sounds like it would be confusing. Yes. But I did things like there was a lighthouse. I totally reclaimed that and turned that into a castle. Oh, cool. Which is pretty rad. And I had like ramparts that I was putting people on to guard for no real reason. I didn't have anything to guard. <laughs> I was going to say guarding what? <laughs> Normally... I, I, I kind of imagine as my headquarters. I was totally just role-playing at this point. I had a little map room where with, like, a radio and everything. I had an area where, like, everybody could gather. It was like I was setting up my own virtual dollhouse, and it was a good time. Did you have a treehouse as a kid? No, I totally didn't. Did you want a treehouse as a kid? No, I totally didn't. <laughs> Did you have a treehouse? Hell no. I live in the city. Yeah, I mean... We our trees didn't exactly support tree houses. Yeah, but yeah. I did have a dollhouse, and I loved my dollhouse. Oh, that's cute. Actually, my mother used to have a job making accessories for dollhouses. Really? Yeah, and that's actually how I ended up playing the NES a lot as a kid. Her boss, I would go over to her house with her, and her daughter had an NES she never played. So I'd go up there and play, like you know, <laughs> Super Mario Brothers, Super Mario Two, Super Mario Three. She's one of those kids who had everything, but she was so miserable. And I was like, yeah. how can you be so miserable if you have this this NES in your room with all these games? Yeah, it's literally impossible to be miserable if you've got a video game console. I know, right? So your parents are divorced. What do you want me to do about it? You got an NES. Anyway, so with Fallout 76, I guess I will be all in on it if it ends up dramatically expanding the amount of stuff that I have available for building a settlement. And Mm -hmm. as long as the online component isn't too overbearing. Right, yeah. I'm kind of wondering what they mean by online component, quote-unquote. And the one thing I'm, I am a little bit worried about is with Fallout 4, I liked the settlement building as a tertiary thing because right. I knew that if I ever got bored, I could go back to my settlements and mess around. And I had investment in that world already because I right. created this character and I had created, like, I had found the right outfit for her to be wearing and the companions that I liked, and I had a little house for my companions to go living, and uh, it was fun, right? Or like mm-hmm. in Skyrim, uh, marrying my werewolf girlfriend and moving into a castle in the right. imperial capital, uh, the imperial regional capital. That was fun. I don't know if I'm going to have the same investment in Fallout 76. My main concern, right? I understand where you're coming from, and that's one thing I'm hoping that the game, if it is actually a survival game, I hope that they take that from both Minecraft and Dragon Quest Builders, is uh, both games really let you, and in fact encourage you, to explore uh, once you get bored of building. 
you find valuable materials, you find allies, you find, you know, just cool stuff. Mm. Uh, especially Minecraft. Minecraft really encourages you to go literally underground and, and probably kill yourself. But, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it feels like they were really building... It feels like they've been building to this for a while now between the Fallout, the settlement building in Fallout 4, which mm -hmm. ended up having... There were plenty of people who hated it and had no time for it, but there were plenty of people, yours, uh, myself included, who really loved it and felt like it totally made the game. And so it makes sense that they would go in this direction and create right. a, a survival game, um, especially if they can turn it into dun-dun-dun, persistent online platform. <laughs> That's the word of the day, kids. What? Ding, ding, ding. That's, um, uh, the, the, you know, it's the Pee Wee Herman, like, what? Crazy. Yes. Let's go crazy. Persistent online platform. Yeah. Oh, the dinging in the confetti. <laughs> yes, exactly. Noise. That's the word of the That's day. That's the word of the day. <laughs> I never saw my father laugh so hard at that, that clip. Oh, this is our giant Timberwolf. He's scared of loud noises. Noise. That's our secret word of the day. Yes, exactly. So... I guess we'll see. We'll know more about e at E3. We certainly will. We certainly will. All right, on to games that are actually out. Moonlighter, which came out, I want to say this week. Did it come out this week or did it come out last week? Well, I first heard about it this week, so I think it maybe came out at the very end of last week, but I've been okay. hearing about it most this week. Yeah, it was a Kickstarter game, and the basic idea is that you are a character who apparently runs the family shop, mm -hmm. and you have to go into dungeons. There are a handful of dungeons for you to explore. You get stuff from these dungeons, you bring them back, and you sell them to the masses. Am I correct? You do. Yes, you do. Yes, I played a little bit of it last night. I was taken by the the art style, and I thought the combat was okay. And then I got bored and started playing Battle uh, BattleTech instead. <laughs> which, uh, which by the way, is a pretty cool game, pretty cool strategy game in the vein of XCOM. And it, oh. well, not well. You you have permadeath. You recruit characters, they can die, except instead of regular characters, you are driving mechs. Mechs that you have to repair and mm -hmm. find stuff for. And you can buy new mechs once you get enough money and you got to take on jobs. And there's a story component with like multiple choice dialogue and everything. Um, there, there's actually some strong, it's primarily a strategy game, but there are some strong RPG elements to it. Right, definitely sounds like you're... Uh... I guess Bucket of Oil, if we're talking about a, a game about mechs. Bucket of Oil. I couldn't think of a good <laughs> metaphor. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it's it's very much in my wheelhouse. Um, I found Moonlighter a little confusing. Yeah, uh, here's the thing about Moonlighter. I was not taken at first, uh, but then I went ahead and I went to normal difficulty. And here's the weird thing about this game. It gives you normal difficulty like hard difficulty and then harder difficulty and i just i don't get that scale but it tells you to play on hard difficulty so i said okay you know i'll go with hard and i just wasn't having a lot of fun i found the enemies a bit too difficult for my liking so i went down to normal difficulty and i found it a lot more manageable and i really started to get into the flow of the game um 
I've heard it compared to Stardew Valley in that you do have that starting out with nothing element. You build yourself up, you know, the more the fruits of your labor produce more things for you to sell, which makes, you know, you make more money, etc. You've got that positive feedback loop going on. Uh, I will say Stardew Valley is a little bit stronger, though, because um, it has that story element. I find Stardew Valley characters are, are a very engaging and fun bunch, whereas uh, you don't get as, nearly as much of that in in Moonlighter. Uh, but you do get some really interesting situations in Moonlighter, like, okay, yeah, you have your little, your little um, store at first, that's fine. And then as you grow, you start getting problems like jerks who steal from you, and you have to kind of roll into these guys and beat them up <laughs> before they take out, out the door with your stuff. Uh, so I've been getting kind of... I've been using my money and the, the supply, the, the materials I find to, to make better armor sets... Uh, and then I go deeper into the dungeons, and yeah, I'm I'm enjoying myself with it. Uh, I would prefer a bit more of a story element to it, though. It just kind of has a really interesting vibe that's not really telling me anything. I think I'm perfectly fine with there not being a story. Yeah, yeah, I can see I can see you saying that, but I like <laughs> stories. I'm the kind of person, <laughs> and I say this because I'm, this is just my personal preference. But I think a story can definitely enhance the quality. RPG experience, but I don't think it's essential at all. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, Darkest Dungeon is a great example of that. Um, interestingly, Pokemon is a good example of that. I, That's true, yeah. I don't care about Pokemon's lore, characters, or <laughs> or anything. I don't care. I only care about the, the regions. Those are kind of cool. And I like, kind of like in Fallout, actually. I like just being turned loose in what I would call almost my holodeck. Where right. Anytime I start having a laundry list of chores that I want to do in a game, I know that I'm playing a good game. <laughs> do this, do this, do that. Or like it's going, well, I got to do this, I got to do that. If I, if I just gather this, 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 and this, and do this, and meet this person, and beat this guy, then I'll get this. That's great. And I start In think- that case, oh, I was going to say, you should probably keep on playing uh, Moonlighter then. Yeah. You might find you like it. So I like that long-term planning. <laughs> Exactly. Although Moonlighter, I will say, and I'm not sure about like, I'm not sure if this is an enduring complaint, but I do find the dungeons are a little bit uh, plain. Mm. They're very, very much based on the original Zelda, which even the original Zelda had like, you know, stairways and hidden stuff to find. And so far, and I haven't gotten too deep into the dungeons, so I could be wrong, but so far, I just haven't found anything that compelling. Um, it's more about the combat, really. So I died and lost my sword and shield. What do Ooh. I do? You can make another one. Can I, I can you make go, another one? Yeah, you can uh, basically get a, a blacksmith to come in, and uh, he'll make you another sword and shield. But it costs you money and uh, and stuff. Did you <laughs> did you go back to dungeons? Did you find anything there? I don't know if it's like uh-huh. dark souls. You can collect your stuff. I don't know. <laughs> all I know <laughs> is that I lost. Uh, I died, and all of a sudden my stuff was gone, and I only had my broom again. Because you start oh, with I a broom. Remember. Yeah, and the game kind of walks you through it, and then it gives you a sword and shield, and you're like, okay, that's cool. And then, but I had accidentally died, and no, no more sword and shield, and I didn't know how to get a new one, and then I didn't want to keep playing. Yeah, okay, I don't blame you there because I haven't died yet, knock on wood, except for that initial story bit where you they kind of kill you. But because um, I worked really hard to get a bow and arrow and a spear, and if I lose those, I- I'm gonna I'm gonna punch something. <laughs> Yeah, I, I suppose so. Uh, so don't die, Nadia. Yeah, that's that's a tall order, but I'm gonna have to. This one I'm gonna have to go for. Don't die. 
today's it's today's theme don't die <laughs> uh, yeah so i i guess that i could try and get back into it but while the initial the graphics definitely hooked me i, I mentioned how a visual art style can either be a major turnoff or can like grab me right from the start and then if the rest of the game is good then i want to keep playing right so that was a that was a positive in the early going and i was kind of going through it but another problem that i was kind of having was i wasn't sure what i could sell or like how how to make money on it because it was like okay here's some stuff that you can sell and you set the prices and people smile or they frown and then they right. take the pr- the stuff away and you're like okay great but i got all this garbage in my pack do they want that what do I do with it? Yes, they do. Uh, they want everything. You just have to find a good price for it. And a little bit later on, you get uh, this mirror item that you can just deposit all your junk into. So And you get like a little bit of gold for that. So you don't even have to bother selling like the real junk items that don't bring in a lot of money. Uh, in fact, that becomes a little bit important later on because that frees up space in your pack too. I had some stuff that was like literal junk. And I was trying to put it at really cheap prices and people still didn't seem to want it. <laughs> I think the cheapest thing I've sold is like two gold. Yeah. And then it started to not feel really worth it. And then mm-hmm. I didn't really understand the day-night cycle and whether like, whether or not I could fast-forward it. Not to my knowledge. I think that the... Uh, well, you can go to sleep to fast-forward the night. and uh, But you can also fight in the dungeons night and day. And you get different stuff if you fight at night oh. or day. I didn't really understand the, the dungeon crawling and like how to access new areas of the dungeon or whether I should be accessing new areas of the dungeon. Uh, let's see. It starts you in the Golem Dungeon, as I recall. And yes. The Golem Dungeon 1. And you it's a procedurally generated, so it's different every time you go in. And um, you basically walk around until you find... It's kind of like Shin Megami, actually, until you find that door that takes you to the next part, to the part 2 of that one dungeon. I've only gone to the Golem Dungeon 2, so I don't know what's beyond that. I'm guessing 3. I was running I was running into dead ends. Yeah, probably, but um, you can just backtrack and go the other way. That's what you're supposed to do, I guess. Did you ever play the Atelier series? No. I, you might actually like them. <laughs> <laughs> if I like this, you mean? Yeah, because they keep putting them out, but at least the ones that I've seen have usually been about young girls who are starting up um, magic shops, like potion shops. Oh, okay, yeah, I think I've heard of it. And basically, it's an RPG for love and profit. It's (laughs) it's the usual, like, oh, look at all the boys. Who do you want to date? (laughs) So Uh, so it is like that Stardew Valley. I think you need to get stuff uh, to make potions to sell. Mm -hmm. And that's how you get your money and your equipment and everything. So, And then you have... Lots of fun anime-fueled uh, uh, scenes. I, I had a good time with Atelier the one time that I played it. It sounds cute. Yeah. Uh, did you ever play Reketeer? No. That's not one that I've played, but it came out several years ago, and among a certain like segment of the population, it, it definitely caught on because it had a similar concept to Moonlighter, which right. was starting your, your own shop. But once again anime-inspired hijinks instead of indie RPG kind of look. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, well, of course, you think about it, and it's like, well, I survived years of retail. Why do I want to go back? 
<laughs> I survived years of retail. Why would I want to go back? Well, maybe if you're running the whole shebang. I was so bad on the cash register, they finally had to get rid of me. That's the beauty of capitalism, Nadia. Your, go- yeah, your job is to become the boss. <laughs> and then you I don't f- want to be the boss either. And then you feed the workers to the means of production. That's capitalism. <laughs> As the oil the machines with the blood of the workers. Yes, exactly. There you go. Now you're catching on. um so yeah so here's the thing so moonlighter is available on ps4 right now i believe and it's also on steam this feels like a game i want to play on switch it really really and i say this about a lot of games but this this like more so than most god because even the little snippets of gameplay you know shop dungeon shop dungeon they, each one doesn't last very long so it's just it really is a switch game yeah it's kind of the definition of like i have nothing to do oh play this game oh and the next thing i know i'm building up my shop and doing all of those yeah. kinds of things kind of like stardew valley right stardew valley is like the er example of a switch game mm-hmm. it's so perfect on switch i don't even the only reason I don't play it is because I'm afraid. I'm afraid of getting addicted. I am. I said to myself, I am going to download it on the Switch. And then I was like, no, I will never play any other game if I have Stardew Valley on the Switch. And then I'll be dead. I think Bob posted a screenshot of him getting Stardew Valley on the Switch and then a pic- posting a picture of Barney from The Simpsons going, it begins! <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty. that would be pretty much me. Like, there was a point where I was like, I could keep playing this and I could get really into it, but I'm not going to because this Mm. is very time consuming and I don't want to. (laughs) I had so many cows and goats and so many pigs. And I think Moonlighter is somewhat similar. The difference I think between Stardew Valley and Moonlighter is, first of all, you have a clear idea of your character's identity because when the game, when Moonlighter begins, you're just going to the dungeon with your broom. You're yeah. like, what's going on? Why am yeah, I here? And they're like, and this old guy's like, yeah, you're in your shop. This is your family shop. Sell things. And I'm like, hey, what, do I, what do I do? <laughs> Why? How? Sell what? Where? Do it. What am I doing? What am I? Who am I? Yeah. Whereas in Stardew Valley, they have a very clear path. You start out yeah. in a company job, a boring company job, and you're like, oh, but I want to get out to the country and start a farm. And now you're here on this beautiful, like, cute little village, and you're building up your mm-hmm. farm, and has the sense of ownership right from the beginning. You're it getting to know great. all of the quirky people in town and that kind of thing. And clear away that overgrown scrub and brush mm-hmm. and everything. Mm-hmm. And so, right from the start, you're hooked. Right, right from the yeah. start, you understand who you are, what your objective is. And what you want to do. And it doesn't feel nebulous. Whereas Moonlighter, it all feels very nebulous from the start. Yeah, it really does. And I have to say one thing I do adore about Stardew Valley's opening and really just clinches the whole thing home is how in the cubicle next to you, there's a dead person. There's <laughs> <laughs> a skeleton just lying there. And what's fascinating, and you're basically working for what, a big box retailer, right? And the big box yeah. retailer shows up in Stardew Valley. Yeah, dude, Jojo Mart, they're everywhere. They, they're literally like Walmart and Amazon mixed yes. together. And they just have that real... When you go into the, a Jojo Mart, the town's Jojo Mart, you just hear the cold buzz of the fluorescent lights. And I just like, wow, that just nails it right home right there. Oh, it's, 
I love the juxtaposition between that and the the actual regular town. The Stardew Valley yeah. is brilliant. Uh, they took the Harvest Moon. It's much more than just a Harvest Moon clone. They really took they took Harvest Moon and made it into everything that it should have been from the start. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, some people say that the, the the series, the actual Harvest Moon series, whatever Xseed I think calls it now. It actually is closer to, to Stardew Valley, but I, I don't play them, so I, I don't know for sure. I mean, we don't, you have Stardew Valley. What else do you need, frankly? Yeah, no, exactly. Just, I'm waiting for Stardew Valley, too. Sorry, Harvest Moon. Your, your, <laughs> yeah. your time is up. I enjoyed you with Friends of Mineral Town way back in the day. That oh, was a phenomenal it. game on the GBA, but that was also 15 years ago. It was, and badly t- <laughs> very badly translated, too. As for Moonlighter, I, I would recommend perhaps giving it a shot when it's on sale. Uh, yeah. when it's inevitably very cheap on a Steam sale, I mean, Steam summer sale, not too far away, I don't think. Probably not. Alternatively, wait till it's out on Switch. Yes, definitely. I think it is coming, so yeah, I would definitely wait for that. I'd be a little surprised if it didn't come out on the Nintendo Switch. Same. Uh, it certainly has stuff to recommend it. I don't think it's a game where I'm like, go out, buy it right now, because like I said, it... It did do one good thing for me. That's make me want to go play Battletech. (laughs) (laughs) Which which is a cool game that's going to probably end up taking way too much of my time. (laughs) Probably. We all have one. I'm still playing Shin Megami Tensei uh, Strange Journey. Oh, yeah. How's that going? Uh, Well, it was going well for a while there. But I I reached the quote-unquote vanishing point. Like, yay, we're going home. Then like, oh, no, you're not. So I'm in the no, you're not phase. (laughs) Uh, how's Dark Souls going for you? You've been playing that, right? Yeah, I haven't had a chance to go back to it, but uh, I did beat the Asylum Demon. Congratulations! And, You're taking your first step into a darker world. I certainly have, and it's actually funny because I forget where I went from there, but I encountered some skeletons, and I got my ass kicked again and again. And I was so mad about these skeletons, because I'm like, this is Dark Souls, I gotta get good, I gotta do this. And they were just like taking off like 75% of health with every hit, and I'm like, ugh. But then I realized... I went to a different direction, and I was like, oh, oh, this is where I'm supposed to go. And the undead, I went to the Undead Burg. I had no idea I was supposed to go there. And apparently, that's a thing that happens a lot to Dark Souls virgins. What's your class? Uh, I actually picked Warrior. Okay. Here's what I would suggest. Start over. Go mm-hmm. into a guide. Find a suggested beginner class that's not Warrior. Um, and... Just look for the easiest possible builds that you can possibly go with. And you will probably make yourself fairly OP fairly quickly, actually. I actually, I'm not doing too badly with mm. uh, the, the warrior build, though. I actually find that I'm pretty good with a spear. Okay. So I might keep my current build going a little bit longer. But if sure. I start to have a lot of trouble, then uh, um, I'll just scrap it. Some, some people are saying Pyromancer is a good mm. starter build, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I was looking at that. Well, it gets quite hard as you progress, as you yeah. m- may realize, and you are extremely early in. So yeah, yeah. yeah. But whatever, uh, whatever it takes to uh, be able to do it. If you can beat Dark Souls, I'd be very impressed. Yeah, I may as well give it a try. I bought it. Okay, Nadia, as always, we will be doing our reading the comments from the listeners. We haven't done that the past couple weeks because either we were extremely busy or like the episode had run long or it was just Doc here. But 
Yeah, we got a bunch of comments on our Pillars of Eternity 2 Dead Fire review. Nice Guy Neon says, In a timely manner, I finally played Pillars of Eternity and finished it on Memorial Day weekend. Pillars is brilliant. I typically fit most of my gaming from like 10 to 11 p.m. to midnight if I have work to do. I stayed up until like 4 a.m. like every night to keep playing it. There's a lot of lore, but you don't need to read it. What do you do read helps to flesh out the world and it's very well realized from the gods to the races to the politics. There's nothing that feels out of place in the game. Uh, we also talked about Dragon Age Origins at some length in this in that episode. Mm-hmm. A nice guy, Neon, says, I'm also glad we're talking Dragon Age Origins here, because I feel like people are pretty dismissive of it, but I still think it's one of the finest RPGs you can play today. The sequels tried some interesting things, especially Dragon Age 2, but the series as a whole has been kind of weird to keep track of because of how different each game is. You never played Dragon Age Origins, right? No, I played the first one, and I was like, yeah, this is That okay, is the but- first one. Is it really? Yeah, Dragon Age 2 and then Dragon Age Inquisition, but Origins is the first game. Okay, so I did play a bit of that, but uh, I just never really got into it very much. Underrated RPG, I I actually Mm. think. Maybe because it was pushed so hard when it originally came out, and it didn't translate super well to consoles, and it was just a different time, right? It really was, yeah. (laughs) I think that it really deserves another chance. Yeah, um... I've I've always been meaning to give like the Dragon Age games another chance because I was surprised when I fell in love with Skyrim as hard as I did. So I figure, well, maybe I just wasn't in the right mindset to appreciate Dragon Age. Skyrim is so good. It is. It's pretty great. Uh, we also had this conversation. Donkey in the Forest says, "I'd say JRPGs are definitely RPGs, but are usually what? not role-playing games." RPG has come to mean a game that has mechanics that have grown from the D&D model, usually, but not always, with RNG and modifiers and experience-based leveling that affects those modifiers. Role-playing means a player can have their characters make choices that affect the story perception of characters by NPCs and other PCs. You know, like Persona. (laughs) They didn't actually say that, by the way. I just said that. It's funny. You say, you, you give me that whole definition of RPG, and I'm like, oh, like Dragon Warrior. Yeah. Oh, Dragon Warrior has that kind of, uh, that, that, those choices? Uh, no, not nearly as complicated, but I'm thinking of the term, like, you know, whole role playing thing. I was mm-hmm. like, I don't know. Somehow it just fits into that category for me. I, I think that JRPGs can go into those directions. I'm, there are certainly examples out there. It's just that the best known examples tend to tell much more straightforward stories with established characters just exactly. using the stat models that were introduced in like D&D and that kind of thing and relying yeah. pretty heavily on really complex battle systems. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um the reason it got started was cuz I asked Doc for a hot take and his hot take was that JRPGs aren't RPGs. Oh my god. And he didn't mean that as a put down. He was just saying that <laughs> He saw it as a very different animal from uh, your traditional RPGs. And I was telling him about how, well, I mean, they do come from the same lineage. They really do. At the end of the day, JRPGs sprung directly out of Wizardry and Ultima, which sprang directly out of D&D and Token. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's kind of hard for me to say that they're not RPGs when they have very similar mindsets. And then we got... We got into my favorite conversation about what an RPG actually is, and you, you know how it is. <laughs> yeah, we've had that conversation. Um, Satellite of Love says, I really, really, really had to put down Pillars of Eternity 1. World building is not the issue here for the Suikoden Trails Witcher fan writing that is 
what Doc touched upon, the endless, chewy, expositional dialogue. And then Satellite of Love adds, Etrian Odyssey is a WRPG, Mass Effect is a JRPG. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know about that. I think... yeah. For one thing, Etrian Odyssey is a straight dungeon crawler. I don't. I think it defies description, and I think it does. And Mass Effect is. I mean, getting back to what they were saying above, Mass Effect is a game where you can impact the world around you, uh, and yeah, many, absolutely. and you have control over how you build your character, which is a very PC RPG kind of thing. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The challenger says, that's a pretty standard take on the RPG scene, R-E-J-R-P-Gs. There are thousands of posts littered across hundreds of forums discussing this uh, topic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Talrain says, I don't think talks t- hot take about our JRPGs not being RPGs is all that hot. I mean, I don't think it's clear what RPG even means anymore, but I've long believed that JRPGs and Western RPGs are distinct genres. And t- it's entirely possible for a Western developer to make what I'd call a JRPG or vice versa. We may need a shift in terminology, but these are not the same genre as a good place to start. I, I guess. I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I think that there's so much bleed over between the two. It really is. Yes, they are different stylizations, but it's weird to say that a JRPG is a wholly different thing from a Western RPG. Yeah, I think so. And, um, Gosh, even just playing Dark Souls and how Western-inspired that is, I could still kind of catch those little glimpses of JRPG in there, and yeah. I appreciated them. Dark Souls reminds me of the original Zelda. <laughs> <laughs> just a little bit darker. <laughs> I wrote a whole column about it. It's a very hard game. Very hard game. But the original Zelda is extremely hard, too. Like, crazy yeah, hard. Yeah, I always... I have to give. I have to be honest. I always give up on the original Zelda when I try to finish it. Because you get to those dungeons where it's nothing but dark nuts all the time. The final dungeon's insanely hard. It is. I watch my, my husband go through Zelda once in a while, and I watch him do it, and I'm like, how do you even remember all this stuff? I, I, it's so huge. Yeah. The, that final dungeon is ridiculous. I, I can't even believe it. The, the, the similarity is both games kind of drop you into a world without a lot of context or knowing what to do, and you kind of just got to find your way through it. And they're both both much more open. Um certainly than the later Zelda games that came along. And mm-hmm. both are extremely hard. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, and the challenger says, listening to a character's inner thoughts monologue had to be one of my favorite parts of Indigo Prophecy and Heavy Rain. I played the hell out of DAO. Too bad none of the sequels were able to capture my attention like the first one did. Fun series overall. I like Dragon Age Inquisition. It was all right. Anyway, we're running out of time. So Acts of the Blood God is a U.S. Gamer podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are sold. Uh, E3 is coming up. So please follow us on all of the social media channels, especially U.S. Gamer Net on our Twitter, U.S. Gamer Net, our Facebook. Um, we stream every Tuesday for a couple hours. Go follow that to go see Mike's and sometimes Heron's beautiful faces as they play whatever the latest and greatest game is Uh they we they almost played Moonlighter this week. Maybe they should have, but they instead ended up playing. I want to say Elder Scrolls. I'm not sure. Yeah, they played Elder Scrolls online. I think. Yeah, they were playing Elder Scrolls online. Uh, another game that uh, I think we're going to be have to be talking about soon because that's coming out like next week. Oh my god! Right on top of E3. Good sh- oh, good Jesus job, guys. Christ. It's in. A- people do this to us. It's in early access as we speak. So Is this uh, summer. Um, the the new expansion. 
Yeah, it's the new expansion, Somerset. Somerset, yeah, that's it. Yeah, so we'll have to have boy, Mike. Boy. We'll have to have Mike on the show to talk about that one. Uh, I'm at the underscore catpot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford, as always. And uh, yeah, Nadia, you've been writing a whole bunch of stuff for the site. Anything in particular you want to plug? Uh, well, I kind of mentioned a few of the things I, I wrote this week. So by all means, go check them out. And uh, the thing that just went up and will probably be up, still up when, by the time this goes up. I hope is, so. Uh, I, I wrote a, a thing about uh, the Pokemon Gold beta that leaked or was distributed early earlier this week uh, from 1997 Space World. And it's just full of these weird-ass Pokemon that either were kind of used, you could tell, in future games or just cut entirely or they're just completely bonkers versions of Pokemon we know. Like, Pichu is literally just like a bean with like little stubby arms and legs and these little pointy ears and it's just adorable. So I kind of wrote a tribute to those, those quote-unquote dead Pokemon. Are you ready for E3? I'm never ready for E3. I, I've been at this for like 17 years. I'm never ready for E3. God, I'm not ready for E3. <laughs> I wish that you could go in my place. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I need year. to go for the sports stuff. But That's true. Perhaps I next can't year. Do the sports. You cannot do the sports. Nobody can do the sports but me. That's true. Cat is the sports. That is my, that's my beat. The uh, World Cup is coming up in a couple weeks. I've been playing a lot of FIFA. That's an RPG. No, it's not an RPG, but... <laughs> Well, uh, it, it is actually, even though I'm not in, in soccer, Toronto is a lot of fun when the World Cup is on. Oh, is it? Because you have, like, God, everyone's from every other, every country, uh... like, in this in the city. So someone's always rooting for someone. So whenever you hear, like, well, you, you're, I'm going to be hearing a lot of, like, honking and yelling over the past, uh, the next few weeks. People like, oh, such and such one, I guess, you know. Well, USA is not in the World Cup, and so I've been playing as Japan, and that was a bad idea because Japan is not a good soccer team. <laughs> Aww. Poor Samurai Blue. I had much higher expectations for you. I guess you're not getting out of the group. but <laughs> So we'll be back next Monday, and we will be covering all the stuff that's announced. We'll be recording right after the Square Enix podcast and or the Square Enix press conference where we will be discussing that we'll be getting the podcast up as soon as humanly possible so uh, and speculating on what will be coming at the playstation press conference so we're going to have a special e3 edition of acts of the blood god next monday please look forward to it until then i've been cat bailey and for myself and nadia oxford we'll be back next week and until then happy adventuring <laughs>